Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Product Led Podcast. And I'm excited because this is an exclusive episode with Yulia, head of growth, product growth at Miro. I know she said she doesn't do any more shows because she's too busy. And this is the one and only show this year that she will do. <laughs> How's it going, okay. Yulia? How are things with you? Cool. Yeah, as you've mentioned. And hi, everyone. Thanks for having me here. As you mentioned, yeah, too busy, but too excited at the same time. Yes, I feel that it won't be a lot of me speaking like this year. Just a lot of work to be done, but cool to have this opportunity to talk to you guys. Yeah, US and I are super excited. We use Miro all the time for brainstorming, for workshops. So yeah, so thank you for being here. We're going to be talking about you know, how product-led growth is applied in Miro and how that's accelerated its growth. But before we do, I love for our listeners to just to get to know you on something personal about you, something that's not work-related. And you know, before we started, you know, before all this COVID lockdown, one of the things that people picked up is some pandemic hobbies. <laughs> for me, it was cooking. For my wife, it was gardening. And I'm curious, did you pick up any hobbies during the lockdown? Yeah, that's a cool question. I don't think like I pick up hobbies, but I uh, pick up some routines that I continue to do like for more than a year for now. Uh, so when we started to work from home, there was a lot of home <laughs> and a lot of work as a result. So I decided and I switched uh, like my schedule and I created my like set of morning routines and actually started to do yoga. So I continue to do yoga every day. And this is like something that create like make my morning get back like me to the mood to the energy and I just like love the exercises and another thing that I just started to do that last year when the pandemic hit as I started to go for a walk every day in the morning and like I realized it's five minutes like to the forest like I really live by the forest but I have never go outside and work there that is why I was also like a very good routine to build and like to continue to have just to while I'm not on a commute I can go outside and have a uh, walk (laughs) it makes a lot of sense I've also started working it's like the best time to think of new ideas I'm not sure if you find the same thing while walking into the forest it's like yeah that's where the best ideas hit for you is that the case yeah, I like to listen actually to different podcasts uh, or sometimes I just don't need any information in my head anymore and I like, like prefer the silence. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just like to listen to music and like to also sometimes to calm down or, or to increase my mood. But sometimes I really go outside with some couple of questions that I really want to find an answer for and I just walk in and thinking about like inside my head and yeah some interesting ideas pops up or answers I just put them into notes and then like take it from there after that yeah I am in the same situation sometimes silence is like the best thing like especially with too much information with like Netflix YouTube and especially in the last year with the news, right? Like all this bad, (laughs) bad news. I just need a break from it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm not a news person yet. Sometimes I think like, I mean, like this pink glasses, Mm. like like everything in the world is bright and happy. Uh, But then I (laughs) (laughs) hear something, I'm like, oh no, is it really like the world I'm living in? Yeah, that's crazy. That's so true. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I want to pivot to talking about product-led growth. You did a presentation for the product-led summit and it was one of the best viewed videos for the summit. And, you know, one of the things that you shared there that we're going to really dig to some things that enable product-led growth at Miro. And before we do, I'm curious for you, for you as head of product growth, but also for Miro, why do you believe in product-led growth? And this sounds like a very 
basic question, but there's a lot of, there might be people listening into this podcast that they don't even know what product like growth is and why, how it can help them. So I'm curious for you, why is this so important and how has it helped grow uh, Miro? Yeah, cool question. And yeah, it's good to align on this first. I like, I think like open view, uh, how they put it so that right now is the end user era. The way how people choose the product, find the product and decide to buy is changing. And like it's changing from top down to bottom up motion. And uh, to be successful in this bottom up motion, you really have to focus on the usage and on the adoption. And usage help you to build like competitive advantage on the market and give you, like it helps you to accelerate your acquisition like efforts. And for us, it's a collaborative tool. To collaborate, you have to share the boards and invite other people. So like if we focus on the usage, actually the virality will come. At the same time, like if you focus on the usage and the frequency of usage, you create more uh, more touch points within user journey when you actually can communicate to them the value or have some like monetization, like pricing moments, uh, touch points to increase like the error that you get from that user. So like Changing like the way how people choose and buy their tool and focus on the usage. Like this is why we uh, we believe in this and works for us so far. <laughs> so we just continue to double down with it. It makes a lot of sense. And you're right. Like it's the era of the end user, right? People want to try things before they buy. And if the experience is not good, they're not going to buy. And that's exactly what, what is happening with Miriam, with how you implemented this growth. But let's dig into that. Let's, you know, in the product-led summit, you shared several things that enable product-led growth at Miro. We're going to go through each one of them. And the first one that you really touch upon is customer centricity. And, you know, you're talking about end users earlier, like that is the era of the end users. I'm curious how, you know, people, talk about being customer centric all the time, right? It's like the hot word, empathy and customer empathy. How is your team making sure that you're actually continually learning from the customers instead of it just like being a one and done exercise? Yeah, this is one of our like values and behavior we value. Mm. Like we call it like build with, like build with customers and build for customers. Mm. And so like there's several processes or just like approaches that support this so while we're discovering or building any solution we build it for customers and with customers so uh, we talk to customers like every product manager talk to customers and not just when they started to discover a specific area they talk to on a constant basis so like uh, the product manager who owns the like monetization or they talk to people who are just bought the product to figure it out like why what was the use case what made their decision like to build this conversation and figure it out some new insights that pops up so it's not specifically about i have to do this specific task so i will figure it out and that's like across the board and when we're actually working on the like specific area and problems we also involve users both on a discovery phase and then on usability like phases before we go and test it on the production so pretty obvious we also put voice of the customer in our every 
like we have the overview, for example, in our growth team, we have a monthly overview of the things like how, how the business perform. And like, I don't want it to be only pure about the metrics. So it's like people behind this metric. So I want us to talk not about the numbers, but actually why behind these numbers. So we also wanted to just to bring some customer stories. So like, this is the number, but this is actually what we're happening. Like, this is the storyline because people remember the stories <laughs> and it's just to create a better connection to them. We invite our customers to some of our company meetings that we have. So they speak to us, they share their words. I think you've also like, you've seen that we have a Mirrorverse is a user-generated samples gallery. And like, it's a pure, like all about users. Like when I look at it and like, we see what people are doing with our product and like what amazing stuff. And I see somebody like publish something new. I actually like want to go reach out and talk to them. It's just like, what did you do? Like, and listen to them. So it's super powerful and it's super inspiring for the team. So I think like, I can continue with all this routine. And it's also we're making it very available for every, like to see the feedback that we get. So when they leave the NPS channel, all product team reads the NPS response. So it's not about like the number, it's about actually what's behind it. Or if sales team talking to customer, customer success, they also like pass this feedback back like to company-wide. So we're discussing it and it's not something that we just collect and put on the knowledge base. It's something we work on a daily basis. I love that. I think, especially you talked about the monthly meetings, often it's so easy to focus on just numbers, right? And then there's just stories. It's just, it definitely gets the whole team excited when you hear like a really happy success story and the name and it makes it more real. One follow-up question I had was like, you said you invite them to some company meetings. Like, wow, that's really bold. But like, what kind of meetings are those? Are those user research meetings or more more like you're like literally invite them to like some of the meetings that your company has? Yeah, so when we have different type of offsites, like functional company, we also would like to have some uh, users panel that we have. We can have either pre-record or like do a Q&A, but expose user voice to the broader org, not only like to... Like, because inside the org, there's people who constantly talk to users and customers, somebody like periodically and somebody like they hear this feedback uh, less like not hear, but even read or hear from other people. Yeah. But then they actually, the person mm. comes and shows something. It's also very impactful yeah. on the functions and team members that have never had this opportunity before. And it makes it more real. Like when there's a human being there, even yeah, over yeah, Zoom. Yeah. 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 So when it was like possible to travel every right. time, even I, I went to our, another city or uh, I tried to figure it out if there's any company we have there, I can go and see actually how they use the Miro. So like, yeah, that's cool. That's really fascinating. In, in your talk, and I'm not sure if you already touched upon it, there was this WTF exercise <laughs> that I, I've never heard of. And I love the acronym because it usually means a bad thing, but in this scenario, what it is, is yeah. it actually means like a good thing. It's like what the right? flow. Yeah. So it wasn't created by me. There's like an article in Medium, but it's like, yeah, I like the two senses. Like, but it's, uh, yeah, what the flow. And it's the exercise. Sometimes like when we're working on the problem, we zoom in into the problem and working on the solution. But like for user to execute this task, they usually something that before this and after that. And like you have to zoom out and like see the whole user journey that they will 
have at the end of the day, not just like performing the task for you. And sometimes you really could might be surprising that you like over optimize some specifics while the problem is actually with uh, like entering this flow and that creates a like worse experience for the user while optimizing like for really like a specific feature task whatever so it's very important something like to zoom out and like to Mm. explain the flow and like what is the user flow yeah that that, i love that that's really interesting uh, how you put that there I want to shift gears to the next one, and it's around simplicity and fast time to value. For Miro, what are some things that you're doing to make that uh, time to value really quick? Uh, and you know, obviously, there's the freemium side, but there was other things that you talked about in your presentation that it was like, oh, okay, these are things that people are not really thinking about to reduce their time to value. Yeah. So like, why is time to value is important? And like, uh, when you're working on the product and like I'm working on this product for more than seven years and sometimes it feels very, like it feels very natural to me, but it's very hard to learn something new. And you have to, again, put yourself into customer shoes to understand actually like that sometimes it's very high cognitive effort to learn new experience, like new tool learn to do the things you know how to do is other tool in a new way. And like, there's also like this learning fatigue curve. That is why you, you really have like very short opportunity window to make it engaging and exciting in the first round. So people continue to invest time into exploring to understand the concept and the value. And with whiteboarding, uh, it's still not very common format. Like I would say like not a common format. Everyone knows how to use a whiteboard in the middle yeah. room on the wall, but it's harder to understand how to use it online. So that is why, yeah, we're moving, like with what we are doing, we really, like you mentioned it, removing bad friction that we have for new users to invest and to continue exploring. And there's also like, there's good friction and bad friction. So sometimes you really have to introduce some good friction to like people starting to invest something because without that, they would not experience the real value. So for example, without sending and sharing the board and you won't experience the collaboration. And this is what we are built for. So like, it's not like we, may, like we might remove something that it actually didn't get you to the value that we promise you to have. Um, yeah, the freemium model, like really like this free account with the like light constraints on the uh, collaboration helps to achieve it. The templates that helps also people not to think about the, like how to do the job. So they already have a template. They work like thinking and working on what needs to be done, know on how it should be done. And we're investing into that and how make those templates usable and enjoyable and reusable and things like that. And very small, like on the new user experience, very small details matters. <laughs> and there's a lot of things to be done still, but like I think that this is just the mental model. This is like a learning experience and we need to make it delightful and engaging mm. and like get them to this collaboration point and what we need to do to make it happen. Mm. Just two follow-up questions to that. The first one was you touch upon good and bad friction and often people think all friction is bad. You mentioned about like driving people to collaborate and share it. That's a little bit of 
might be some friction, but it's really the driving value of Miro. Can you give other examples of like some good friction that you've introduced, your team has introduced to that whole experience that, you know, that actually has uh-huh. a positive impact in terms of activation? I think the simplest example like that we all can imagine is uh, about also like this tutorials and walkthrough that sometimes you can skip, sometimes you cannot skip. And like on the other hand, you introduce like a skippable option. So users who don't want to do this skip and uh, start it with a blank canvas. But sometimes you really like for some <laughs> users, it's really like sometimes it's better to introduce this bad friction. So you cannot escape this. We want you to actually do all this things <laughs> uh, to try all these things because this is how you will figure it out the basics we know that uh, it will be harder for you without mm. this so like this is but this all needs to be tested and this not works for mm. every user that is why like the, you need to understand who is entering your product and like how to profile them better and personalize but like this is an example of good versus bad friction mm. so like not every time not for every user a skippable option for tutorial will be a good one so it's better for that somebody will just click through but yeah. somebody will actually have set of aha moments uh during these tutorials that they wouldn't see if they just keep it because skip like it's a default action for majority of them <laughs> yeah it's true it's like there's people when they buy ikea furnitures uh, they just <laughs> remove <put> the instruction. <laughs> just throw the manual, figure it out. That's me, right? Like that's totally me. And my wife is like, just read the instructions, dude. It'll be a lot faster. Yeah, but I, yeah, I actually had the fun. So, like this is the side of the, but I, I like to bake cakes. And I decided to bake like a new cake uh, for mother's birthday. And I just read three ingredients and I didn't read the extract, like the whole instruction. And then I like, okay, I will cook it. And I just started to read and I realized it took like you more than two days to actually do it. And I don't like half of the equipment that I need to do it. And I'm like, oh my God, I had to read it. <laughs> I had oh, to read no. it first before making the decision and like go into this experience. Yeah. So <laughs> align on this. That's so true. The, another follow-up question, something that you mentioned earlier is around viral loops or making sure that the greatest value that uh, somebody can get is when they share it to their colleagues and that experience is a shared experience. And that's a little bit about what you talked about in the presentation called the land and expand strategy. Can you talk a little bit about that? How are you encouraging people to not just create their thing solo and in silo and make sure that they're actually end up inviting somebody from the company or the colleague or the friend to, to collaborate with them. So it's actually interesting, like, because like, I think like seven years ago, we actually <laughs> identified in the data that the collaborative use case is the major use case. So like the people who use it just for personal purposes is not like a big contribution of our user base. So that is why we made several changes into like that we ended up being there and be a tool for teams and for collaboration. And like this land and expand strategy is everything about adoption and how we can drive this adoption in usage and how we can make it a, again, like going back to the previous one, simple, clear for users. What are the options they have to share the boards? And what are they their task 
So they wanted to share some, like that others will just consume. Do they want to co-create, like with whom they are sharing with? Because it's also a friction for users. Not everyone feels comfortable to share a new tool with others or new formats. So we're also like talking through these problems with them to identify like how we can solve them in, in like inside the product. But it's also, I think, a lot of like psychological thing on the other side <laughs> that uh, we also can try to solve actually a good thing to have. But uh, what we also like do is, so it's going back again to removing this uh, really like understanding what are their jobs they want to perform like and what is their preferred way, how they do it right now. And how we can help them to make it easier and faster. To distribute our product is like my growth hat sitting on me. But like the empathy hat is, uh, it's not about like, I don't want them to be like distributors. Uh, like I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, like they have their own job. So like I right. want them have their success. What is the success looks like for them? How they want to do it? And like think, what can we solve with our product? What we can't solve with our product? Yeah, that makes sense. Like, you're right. Like, you don't want to just growth hack people sharing stuff and, like, keep prompting them over and over again. Share this, share this now. Share yeah, this. Yeah, when they're now ready. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I love how you put that there. You want to understand the jobs to be done. There are use cases probably already to collaborate, and you're just amplifying that particular use case for them. Yeah. Yeah, I want to shift gears now to the, the next one around uh, user engagement sh- strategies and you know, you were already talking about this, about the multiple use cases for Miro. This, I bet it's probably a limitless, it's probably unlimited use cases for Miro. And so that brings a lot of challenge. Like, how do you craft an experience for the unlimited use cases? <laughs> or are you just focusing on a handful of use cases for making sure you engage them for that particular customer job or jobs to be done? Yeah, you're right. Like, it's, sometimes it feels like it's unlimited. It's a good thing to have, but it's a challenge at the same time. Like the goal for us is actually help them to solve their first use case they came for and like not to uh, try to, (laughs) I know, showcase like all the things you can do and overwhelm them, but rather than like if you're coming to do a mind map that you have, like let you do the first mind map that you're happy with about and like then it's like the hardest part is understand when is the right time actually to help user to understand that this is not the only one i think like this is one of the challenge and this is where experiments when we're running because like the relevance of the time is very important in this case another thing is like it's about also inspiration so like people who know that they can do multiple use cases with Miro, but they don't have a need for that. And like, live it, like really, like if you don't want to do mind mapping, you do a retro, like <laughs> don't push me to do mind mapping. Maybe I'm happy just with doing retrospectives because I'm not doing mind mapping in any other tool. But if I use doing retro, I also might be doing some kind of, I know, daily meetings with my team. So this might be interesting case for me to try to do in Miro. And there's another group of people who just don't know that you can do other use cases in Miro. They find us with keyword mind map and they started to use us for mind map. And this is like, this is how they perceive the product. And our goal is actually to build the awareness that the Miro is a tool for multiple use cases and like inspire them to try something new. And like those templates we also talked about uh, before a good tool for us to showcase the versatility of the tool and again like create this easy start to try out something new because like you don't have to recreate this 
that's like created for you. So you can just put it on the board, try it out. If it works, like delete, like select and delete and move on. That makes sense. Yeah. And just a follow-up question to that around like, how is your team figuring out like, what is somebody's use case? Are you asking them that in the onboarding experience and how did you get there? Because, you know, some people that come to Wes and I, they're like, my product can do everything. How dare you limit my company to three use cases (laughs) and you can do everything. So yeah. So that's just my follow-up question is like, you know, how did you limit it to that limited set of use cases in the beginning? Yeah, so during onboarding flow, we ask people, those like who are not registered, like I know from specific um, template pages, because it's obvious what they come in for. We ask like, what are the main use cases you want to start Miro with, like exploring Miro with? And we like we have their six main use cases around like, do you want to brainstorm? Do you want to do some giant rituals? Mm-hmm. Do you want to run a workshop with the team? Do you want to like diagram? Or you're working like on a research and design project, something like that. So we like try to profile them to do a more personalized route. And then along the like journey, we just have a couple of like milestones when you continue to ask them what are use cases you're using us for so they can multi-select. And this is how we just gathering insights and understanding uh, what are they using for, what is the most like common use cases and combination of them to inform our strategy and priorities. That makes sense. And, you know, you've been at Mirror for seven years. Was that always the case where there was that six use case or in the beginning, it was just, there was a lot more like, what was the journey that it took to get to, Hey, here are the six customer jobs or use cases that people are signing up for this. Oh, it's, it's always evolving. And it's like, it's not the last iteration. I believe, I think at the beginning we, yeah, we like, it was at some point it was only templates and there was, I like, know, like five, 50 templates and this was cases. Then we just pack it in. So it's a task. So what are a combination of tasks? There was four. Then there like, become five, then become six, then one removed. I mean, like it's, it's a very like uh, evolving iterative process because you also like learn from the users, like new mm-hmm. audience can arise, like new yeah, like market change, like the COVID came, like uh, it's also like brings new information, like from the market, from the users and like how they talk and speak about that. What are the changes that we need to adapt and what are the learnings we have? Even like the way how they really phrase it. I really love that. And even the way that you phrase it, it's really focused on their use case, their customer job. You're saying, are you trying to do run a workshop? Are you trying to brainstorm? And I think that's, you know, for a lot of people listening in, they're so caught up with their own product and they just like, here's some st- templates around this or here's some stuff around. It's very product centric versus customer job centric. So I really yeah. love that. I think we have our advantage of like, it's called drinking your, are your own cooling. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, because we are using it constantly. Also, like, it's very easy, like, to put yourself in a customer's shoes. Sure. This is how we speak. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's an advantage among a lot of other products. Makes a lot of sense. And one final thing that I wanted to talk about, you talked about in the presentation, is around metrics. And, you know, this is something that I've been asked a lot recently around, you know, what metrics should they be looking at to make sure that their PLG strategy is working? And for you, what are the metrics that you and your team at Miro is, is tracking to gauge the success of your product-led growth? Yeah, so we're looking at NPS, and NPS is actually is not the metric, is actually what is behind this metric. But we track it and uh, we track the feedback that we get to identify like 
what are our strengths and what are the areas we want to improve and for which type of audience. Because like it's kind of indicator that people adopting using and willing to refer it. I know that there's a lot of like pros and cons about this metric, but like it's it's really not about the metric. It's about like the, the feedback that you get and trends. We'll look at the usage. And so I won't say that there's one metric that we constantly track in, for example, we say like, okay, this is like, this is the quarter or this is the year we want to really improve our activation metric and activation metric become an North Star. So we really want to understand how many new users that come into us experience these collaborative sessions and what we need to do to drive it out. Of course, we track like conversion, uh, like the average like revenue, the virality, but Really, it's very important to limit this set of metrics that you as a whole team look at and track. And there is a lot of like the output metrics and there is a lot of input metrics. And there are more about like the figuring out like uh, what are the leading indicators for you to drive this. But it's very important for everyone to sit and understand, okay, what is the most important metric for my team right now to drive that will contribute to high-level company metric instead of like, oh, all these other companies are measuring these things. I just put it on a dashboard. I don't know what to do then after that. And then you have a very big dashboard. Nobody knows what to do with all this metric. Then there is analysis paralysis happening because like, I don't know how to make a decision on my experiment because like, I have 50 metrics. They all say different things, like what I need to do. So like really to eliminate this, you need it. Like, these are the three one. And this three one are changing because you focus on different things. Yeah, I want to reemphasize that point to our listeners. Like it's so, so tempting to measure and track every single metric. And that gets you to what you said, the paralysis analysis. And yeah, just measure, focus on a handful of ones that really drive and measure, you know, engagement and, and value for your users. Well, that's it. Um, and I want to thank you for your time as I wrap up. Just one final question. You shared your talk on, on Product Led Summit and you did a lot of podcasts last year. But if people are interested in connecting with you, where can people find you online as well as where can people find out about Mira if they're interested in, in checking it out? Oh, yeah, you can find about Miro on like Miro.com and uh, try out product and send it's really like all product team read the feedback you send to us. Like uh, it's not something that uh, like nobody will see. So excited to, to hear your thoughts. And we hope to have some like all social network presence. But for me, I'm not like the social network person and I'm on the LinkedIn you can find me there and connect with me and if you have any questions uh, reach out there but really uh, I'm very low engagement level on Twitter <laughs> Facebook like and all this stuff only I'm in Slack you know I'm in Slack I'm constantly in Slack yeah <laughs> this is my social network <laughs> and that's the Miro's company slack i'm guessing it's not like a yeah, yeah. Yeah. external <laughs> external community slack that's like every... i don't know yeah internal that's funny well thank you so much for your time yulia I re- you're so generous for your time and i know it's like already late there in where you're at cool thank you it was good to have a chat with you